0: Good morning, and welcome to this life science leadership session. My name is Shaz Partovi. I'm the worldwide lead for healthcare, life sciences, and genomics here at AWS. And I thank you each for showing up this morning. Um, You're obviously familiar with AWS, we have been around for about 13 years. What you may or may not be familiar with is that the healthcare and life science practice has been around for about half that time. For about six years, helping our customers through um, secure global infrastructure that is agile, flexible, is uh, operationally um, has operational excellence, and is compliant with all the local sort of regulatory requirements in order for you to do what you do in your organizations to use uh, sophisticated AIML and advance uh, all the work that you're doing. And in fact, um, in addition to um, our practice, we have the benefit of a tremendous set of customers and partners in this ecosystem, which actually helps you as well. In your journey to cloud transformation, you may want to build some things, you may want to buy some things, you may want to partner some places, and AWS has a tremendous uh, breadth and depth of partners and customers in this ecosystem, which these are just some of the icons that sort of we're presenting here today. Um, When you look at the mission of what we really are trying to achieve together here uh, at AWS in the life sciences practice, it's really focused on helping transform, whether you go from bench to bedside, from lab to real life to really transform the pharma value chain so that we can take care of patients, you can take care of patients um, quicker, faster, better. And, and in that regard, along the spirit of working backwards, um, the healthcare life science practice really is always focused. When, it, when you think of those icons, every one of those icons, those organizations, if you look at their mission and vision statement, they probably all share a common word And that word being referenced to a patient and so we recognize that each of you are trying to elevate the human condition through whatever it is that your organization does and so we want to help you achieve that outcome and in that regard we always think we are customer obsessed but in this team we also think of how do we work backwards from what the patient ultimately wants, because each one of us at one point are going to become patients or we're going to have loved ones that are patients And so ultimately what would each of us want if we were to be ill is to have a very tailored medication, tailored therapies that are matched to us. And to achieve that level of sophisticated matching of therapy to an individual, when you think of what got us here in pharma is not gonna get us there. The idea is that we have to figure out how to transform the entire value chain of pharma industry so that we can get to that small cohort sort of therapy to the batch of one so that if we ever need it, we're at that point. And so when you think, in fact, when you think of rare diseases, ultimately rare diseases is a small batch problem. Today, rare diseases are, are primarily managed through philanthropic donations because it's uneconomical to create therapies for small batches. But if we transform the way in which pharma industry works the entire challenge of rare diseases goes away because we're able to go down to a batch of one that includes rare diseases. And so really we're looking at how do we change the way in which we treat individuals, and one of the ways is through transforming the life sciences value chain. Yes, it's about improving ROI, it's about reducing costs, it's about improving efficiency, but the human value comes to each of us and that we never lose sight of that in our practice of healthcare life sciences at AWS. And so what I wanna do is, when I take you through the life science value chain, this will serve as our agenda, these set of icons. We'll start with sort of talking about early research and discovery. We'll talk about hit rate optimization. We'll talk about lab of the future. We'll then go on and ask our Q-square solutions company to team to come up or individual to come up and talk about how they transform clinical trials. We'll then ask Moderna to come on stage and talk about how rethinking the way manufacturing is done to get to that small batch of one. And then we'll invite Merck up on stage, talk about real world evidence and how that's used in order to understand how a medication is actually behaving in the real world. And then I'll finish it off for you by talking about digital therapeutics and uh, telling you a story around um, that particular part of the value chain. And so this will be our agenda. We'll go through this together, and um, I hope you enjoy it. So let's start with talking about early phase uh, research and discovery, and let's talk about two particular stories there. Again, everything I share with you is all stuff that's sort of live in production. We're not talking about anything that's in the future, things that we want to do. We only give you cases and examples of things that have actually been done so that you can actually believe it. Have you ever wondered how a molecule is picked to be taken to clinical trial. I mean, there are billions of molecules to pick from. I mean, how does somebody pick a molecule and say, let's take that one trial, I think it'll treat that cancer. So it turns out it's quite complicated, which is why scientists spend five to seven years studying uh, how to sort of go from a collection of hundreds of millions of billions of molecules down to the ones they take to trial. You have to look at the way a particular compound is absorbed distributed, metabolized, eliminated through the body, look at the target receptor protein and how it might match to that. And that's why it takes so long, it costs so much. And so working with numerate, we took all that chemical chemistry data in into the cloud, the way it's the chemistry of those about 128 million molecules, the way they're absorbed, distributed, metabolized, eliminated, looked at the sort of the protein structure and it loaded the the chemistry of that target as well and applied 10 CPU centuries of compute in one year. That's 1,000 computer years applied in one year to go from 128 million molecules down to 69 candidates. What would have taken five to seven years and 10 times the cost, took only a year and a fraction of the cost to identify the 69 candidates for a particular therapy, particular clinical trial, well, a particular target. So that's an example of accelerating that early part, the sort of hit rate optimization, as you talk about transforming 10 years to one year, seven years to one year, 10 times the cost to to, to the fraction of the cost. That's sort of one example of it. Then another example would be Celgene. And they're connecting thousands of laboratory devices directly into the cloud. You see, this is a whole new level of data liquidity. All these devices in the labs that have data sitting in, segregated data silos in the edge, as you liquidate that data and connect it directly to the cloud, the opportunity to devise a lab of the future that kind of enables the kind of machine learning, the kind of prediction that is necessary to transform the way in which we do early phase research. And in fact, Celgene, for example, uses Alexa voice services to actually find um, samples in different fridges by just talking to the, to the, because everything is liquid, all the data is in the cloud, there's knowledge of every piece of laboratory, sort of tested tissue or sample, and they use uh, Alexa services to actually identify. And when you move data to the cloud, you don't have to just move textual data or numeric data, you can actually move imaging data. So Celgene also uses the pathologic images, the pathology images they move into the cloud for doing AI ML prediction to help reduce the error rates in diagnosis. So these are examples of that first phase, the early phase, whether you're doing hit rate optimization, whether you're rethinking the way your lab actually works and the way the data flows. Those are sort of examples of that. Now, you'll see this yellow little bar that comes up throughout the presentation today. What we wanted to do is to point other sessions that dive deeper into anything that you hear today. So every time you see that float up, those are sessions you might want to take notice of if you sort of want to learn more about it. Um, you can always take note of those, um, and I'll highlight them for you at the end as well. So lab of the future, cell gene, there's the session. All right. So that was sort of the first one. Let's go ahead and shift gears and go to the next section and talk about um, clinical trials. So BMS is a good example of this phase, and then I'm going to invite q squared solutions to come up. So, remember, we talked about sort of the data silos at the edge in the lab with Celgene, Well, you might not be surprised that actually, even if you move data into your sort of environment, they still sit in silos. And the goal of going from data to information, from information to knowledge, from knowledge to prediction cannot happen unless you actually combine those silos so they can actually do AI ML on top of that. And so BMS is an example where they actually used AWS Data Lake to really combine the entire multiplicity of all the data silos they have into one lake so they can then move up the value chain in terms of converting, getting more value from the data assets they have. And they were able to reduce the cost of their data infrastructure by 30% by liquidating even the silos within their environment, not even at the edge now, even centralized in their infrastructure. So that's an example there. And what I wanna do now is invite Javier Escora to come up and tell us about Q-Square Solutions and the great work they're doing in this space. Thank you, Javier. Please join me in welcoming Javier.
1: Thank you, Chess. Thank you, Chess, and thank you, AWS team, for, for inviting us to, to really share this, this great opportunity and, uh, and this success story with you guys. Now, to be able to convey to you guys the, the value and the opportunity that we all have to enhance clinical trials with artificial intelligence and machine learning, I really have to take a moment first to explain to you what clinical trials are and how complex they can really be. Then we can really understand the value that we're bringing here. You probably all have a somewhat intuitive understanding, if not a deep one, maybe in this room, of what a clinical trial is, but let's look at a textbook definition. Clinical trial is an experiment that tests the safety and the efficacy of a drug, biologic, medical device, or intervention. What this means at the end of the day is we want to make sure that the drug works and that the drug is safe for patients to take. This is a clinical trial. Clinical trials however are extremely, extremely complicated machines. They often involve thousands of people across hundreds of clinics across dozens of countries in four or five continents. They require coordinating medical monitoring to ensure the safety of the patients the manufacturing of the drug and the placebo, the regulatory, legal, and ethical considerations of a clinical trial, and of course, the assessments as well, you can see here on the bottom. The assessments are your x-rays, your blood work, all of the tests that you're going to do to see whether ultimately your drug works and it's safe for patients. But as you know, like with any scientific experiment, you have to make sure that the data is collected in a way that is reliable and reproducible. That means that you have to coordinate all these thousands of people that are working on any given clinical trial to make sure that they're all operating under the exact same standards. You wanna make sure that all of the vendors who are participating in a clinical trial are using the same scientific rigor to collect the highest possible data quality. So how do you do it? How do you coordinate such such a giant enterprise? Well, you have what we call a clinical trial protocol. Clinical trial protocol is a scientific document. And for a clinical trial, a protocol outlines all of these pieces. That way we can all agree that if we're all participating in a clinical trial, this protocol is our sacred text. We're all going to do exactly what the protocol says we should do, what assessments to do, what safety to monitor, et cetera. So it's a great document, but it turns out that coordinating these tons of people, to coordinate these tons of people, you end up with a document that is 100 pages long. Now this is where Q-Score Solutions comes in q Solutions is a central lab in a clinical trial. What this means is that our role is to get blood, urine, biopsy, and all sorts of samples from patients around the world and test them. So when we read a protocol, when a, when a customer, a pharmaceutical company, comes to us and asks us to run their clinical trial, we need to get this protocol, and we need to extract from it only the things that Q-Score Solutions is interested in, the safety labs, the efficacy labs, basically the blood work and all that all that stuff we don't really care about everything else at q square solutions other people will take care of that for us now unfortunately the protocols these long documents they don't have just a nice page that says hey q square solutions read here instead it is a 100 pages and our scientists at q square solutions have to read all 100 or 150 pages and make sure that they thoroughly read the whole document and extract all of the lab tests and all of the information that q square needs from that document Sometimes there's a nice section on page 50 that has a bulk of the stuff we need. Sometimes there's a footnote on page 17 and a random section on page 72 that contains the last bit of information. So you can imagine that getting all this information manually from a document is extremely time-consuming and error-prone. So what we do is we have built a solution using AWS services and hosted entirely on the AWS cloud. We leverage Amazon Textract to convert a protocol from PDF to text and intelligently extract tables from that document. We use Comprehend Medical as the muscle of our solution. Comprehend Medical does an amazing job at extracting all sorts of medical entities and very intelligently categorizes and labels all of those entities that it finds. Lastly, on Amazon SageMaker, we are hosting a custom-built NLP model, a natural language processing model, that gets us the last bit of the way, that allows us to really dial down all the amazing output of Comprehend Medical into the niche output that Q-Square Solutions needs. Thanks to the AWS value chain, we're able to use only a handful of examples to train our custom NLP model instead of thousands of examples typically required to get the level of accuracy that we're getting. So what is the end result? The end result, at the end of the day, has mentioned this earlier, we want to get this stuff out to patients. So we are able to uh, run clinical trials faster and with much higher quality. And of course, this translates directly into faster and better treatment for patients. So I hope that you guys are interested in learning more about this. And if you do want to learn more about the details of how we build this solution uh, so you can apply it in your own company and with your own colleagues, you can join us later for, for a session in this same room.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you. We're back to number one. I, I think I know what he did. He went to the third. Yes, number one will come back on a few times. <laughs> Terrific. All right, so we went through uh, the first two, and now we're going to go ahead and uh, turn our attention to the next section, which is so we've identified the drug to sort of the, the compound to take to clinical trials. We heard about how to optimize clinical trials, so now we want to manufacture the drug. Well, that story of uh, data liquidity continues here, or the absence of it. When we talked about um, the example of Celgene, where data at the edge was in silos, and we liquidated that. We talked about BMS and data centrally, and sort of liquidating those silos and bringing together. In manufacturing, you might or might not be surprised that uh, all over the world, there are many manufacturing sites all over the world that are sitting with data at those edges and those historian sort of equipment, the, the historians of that uh, the data on the equipment themselves in analog equipment, that's not available for analyzing how the manufacturing process is going. In fact, one of the challenges in manufacturing is really even getting a visualization of how manufacturing process is going, let alone um, understanding uh, sophisticated things like predicting machine failure or equipment failure. And so one example I would share with you is with uh, the case with Novo Nordisk where Working with Bigfin, at one of our partners, the problem to solve was, how do we optimize manufacturing? How do we predict machines that might fail? How do we reduce waste on the factory floor? These are all things that are really important um, to manufacturing. And so by adding sensors to analog equipment, like motion sensors and vibration, temperature, cameras uh, sort of in in the operating, in the uh, manufacturing floor, um, being able to, take all that data in, and then to actually be able to create a visualization of actually how manufacturing is going, which is sort of step one, because that itself is something that was not available uh, easily to neurodisk. But more importantly, taking that data and using machine learning to build models that predict machine failure, predict equipment failure, and to take those out of service before they fail, maintain them, sort of change your maintenance cycle. And by just doing that, we're able to improve Um, the manufacturing, the operational efficiency by about 10%, which is really significant. If you're into manufacturing, that's a notable improvement. So that's an example of, again, taking data that's traditionally locked, not available, liquidating it, bringing it forward, and then going up that valid chain, and this just applies to manufacturing. What I want to do now is invite Roland Smith to come up, talk about Moderna, which is a born in the cloud company and and a terrific story on sort of modernizing manufacturing that's just outright in the cloud. So please join me in welcoming Roland.
2: Thank you, Chez. Moderna is a platform-based biotech company. What this means is that using the same equipment and processes, we can create many different drugs simply by changing a few lines of code in the sequence of our messenger RNA. When we saw our first positive clinical trial results in 2016, we made the bold decision to build a large scale clinical manufacturing site to accelerate the development of our promising pipeline. Our clinical manufacturing site is 200,000 square feet. It hosts 260 employees and was awarded the 2019 facility of the future by the International Society of Pharmaceutical Engineers. One of the key differentiators for the award, according to ISPE, was our fully integrated native digital manufacturing operations built on AWS. The site hosts three core functions. First, we have preclinical production, which uses robotics to produce over 1,000 orders of messenger RNA per month. The preclinical area, is controlled by custom software and uses artificial intelligence to improve yields and to reduce failure modes. Second, we have a large-scale clinical production that produces products for human consumption and is driven by real-time data and an integrated manufacturing execution system. Since the launch of the site 18 months ago, we have produced 12 different drugs to supply ongoing clinical trials. The site is also capable of being a commercial launch site for some of our early stage programs. And finally, we have our personalized cancer vaccine unit where we're able to design and deliver a personalized therapy in less than 40 days. Our personalized vaccine unit is designed around the patient. The process starts with a sample of the individual's tumor or blood, We then use next-generation sequencing to identify the mutations specific to that individual's cancer. Those files are about 130 gigabytes per patient, and maybe I'm getting old, but I think not too long ago, that transporting and processing that data might have been our biggest challenge. The sequence file is processed through our informatics pipeline on AWS where we use neural networks to design the personalized vaccine. Our proprietary algorithms select the top neoantigens to target the individual's specific cancer and to optimize the amino acid sequence required to elicit the appropriate immune response. At this point, the drug is still only data until we start manufacturing. Throughout the manufacturing, oops, sorry. Throughout the manufacturing process, we have integrated chain of custody, and all of our operators are tracked with real-time location services and assigned to an individual patient's manufacturing train. The ultra-wideband sensors we use are the same technology the NFL uses to track players, and we have a real-time control tower where we can see the movements of our operators and alarm if there's a risk of cross-contamination. On-site QC and manufacturing takes about 30 days, actually a little bit under. I could talk for an hour just about the complexity of testing a product where you have a different specification for each individual patient. Finally, the drug is released and sent to the clinic and administered to the patient. Leveraging advanced technologies like IoT, automation, machine learning, and end-to-end integration have helped us to drive business transformation and improve operations. Some outcomes of our digital investments have been measurable. For example, we've reduced shift labor by 40% across five manufacturing trains. We've reduced manual error by 85%. And one of my personal favorites, we've reduced batch record review time from three days to three hours. Recently, we implemented real-time review capabilities for exceptions within batch records, and I hope that in the near future, we'll reduce final review time for a batch record to three minutes. While our digital investments have achieved the savings, have achieved measurable savings, the value of the data we are collecting is immeasurable and has helped drive business and scientific strategy. We're still at the beginning of our journey, but in manufacturing alone, we have collected 125 million rows of data on Amazon Redshift, and that does not include real-time process data or location services data. We believe that by democratizing data within the company early in our life cycle, we can build a better biotech and help get more patients the therapies they need. Thank you.
0: Terrific. Thank you. That was terrific. Thanks so much. So, I mean, that's incredible. Look at those numbers, uh, down to a batch of one. Uh, So we've come through the first three sections. Um, Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about real-world evidence and commercialization. Um, Before I invite my good friend Vasu to come up, let's talk a little bit about sort of why is this an important part of the value chain? Well, value-based care is affecting everyone. In fact, contrary to much my, might my think, is it's affecting the pharma organization as well, which basic premises, if the drug doesn't work, payers are saying, well, I don't want to pay for it if it doesn't work, which seems reasonable. But on the other hand, that means that there needs to be evidence collected to show that it actually works, because more and more of the conversation is it worked in, an, in a clinical trial, but that's not real life. That's not real world. And so demonstrate to me that it worked in the real world. And, and there's more to the story than just demonstrate that it worked in the real world. It's actually an opportunity because as you collect data in the real world to demonstrate efficacy, you might also uncover that actually doesn't work in areas that become new opportunities for drug discovery. There might be gaps in therapy, or gaps in gaps sort of the, the therapeutic effectiveness. And so one example of that story is, um, well let me start by saying that we have a great partner called Deloitte, which you probably know. And Deloitte built, an entire platform called Converge Health Minor right on top of AWS, and this is a real-world evidence platform. And so, organizers like Takeda use Converge Health Minor to collect real-world evidence to demonstrate efficacy of medications and potentially identify gaps in therapy or unmet needs. And in fact, uh, Takeda uses that and and is part of their sort of overall process. And when you think of that valid chain starting from early discovery to clinical trials to manufacturing, commercialization, this particular step in the use of real-world evidence allows not only identification of unmet needs so that it plugs back into the top of the funnel, but also allows demonstration of efficacy so that they can demonstrate uh, to the payers' organizations, whether it's commercial in the United States or... Governments across the world that actually medication is effective and allows that to um, continue to go forward. Now, talking about real world evidence, what I want to do is invite Vasu Chandrasakran to come up and tell us about Merck and their great uh, environment uh, around real world evidence. Vasu. It's great to be here and uh,
3: excited to share a perspective from Merck. So we are a 128-year-old company and a global healthcare leader. As a research-intensive biopharmaceutical company, um, our mission is to discover, develop, and provide innovative products and services to save and improve lives around the world. So I'm part of our observational real-world evidence team, and I'm excited to share how we're using real-world data to accelerate time to insights and as a result, accelerate access to our medicines for our patients. Um, So before I go into the work, just to provide a quick overview of what is real-world data, I'm sure many in the audience are familiar, but just to provide a really quick overview, so it is any data relating to patient health status that is collected outside of clinical trials. So we heard about clinical trials, so this is data that is collected as part of your routine um, healthcare delivery, uh, routine uh, healthcare administration. So we are familiar with some of the um, types of real-world data, Um, administrative claims data, electronic medical records, labs, imaging, physician notes, and so forth. But just in the last several years, there's just been an onslaught, um, explosion of uh, new real-world data types that's become available, data that can be collected about your health, about your lifestyle from uh, devices such as wearables and uh, fitness trackers. I'm sure many of you are wearing a smartwatch or a fitness tracker, And um, we can collect really, I think, just great data on um, heart rate and steps and other health information from those. And then data on social behavioral aspects of patients, um, some that directly come from the patient, such as patient-reported outcomes, and others that can be gleaned from uh, patient forums and social media and others that, again, give a snapshot of uh, the patient's health trajectory. So if we put all this information together, integrate across them in meaningful ways, then we can start to stitch together a view into the patient journey. And, uh, but as you can imagine, um, you know, stitching together this patient journey using these large, uh, complex, heterogeneous data sources is not always easy. Uh, first thing, uh, the data, the real data types that I just mentioned are not data that is collected explicitly for the purpose of doing research. Um, <clears throat> you can think of it more as an exhaust coming out of the healthcare system, where the quality of these data vary quite a bit. Uh, what I mean by that is you know, for uh, the same diagnosis or the same medication, even within the same institution, it can get recorded uh, in multiple different ways. And then the problem is only multiplied if you look at across the different institutions. So in order for us to begin working with real world data, we need to first standardize the data first. We need to um, bring the data elements into common vocabulary. And sometimes the data needs to be enriched with um, data that can be found in unstructured aspects, such as uh, your nodes or Um, images and so forth and the overall data quality needs to be improved so that the data then becomes fit for purpose for us to then um, you know do our scientific research so before we can apply any analytical methods on this data with any scientific rigor the data quality needs to be improved so that then we can pose questions of this data and answer them at scale and this is where Um, You know, I think the first problem I want to mention is uh, a simple problem of data acquisition. So we heard about um, clinical trials, we heard about manufacturing. Um, So when I speak of, uh, you know, speaking of questions, uh, we often get questions from our customers. Our customers want to understand how our drug works in their patient population. Uh, Whether it is a payer population or a provider population, they want to understand who is benefiting, how are they benefiting, and so forth. So the first thing is to identify the right data set for us to answer that question. And uh, this is where, you know, I think the data acquisition becomes important. Uh, So imagine if we were to wait, um, you know, every quarter at best to receive the data from our data vendors. And sometimes this data actually, believe it or not, comes via mail uh, in a hard disk or a thumb drive and, uh, you know, this is not going to work because, you know, our stake, it, it's not really, I think, robust enough to meet the needs of our stakeholders. So, so to borrow an analogy from video, we want to move from the blockbuster sort of type model to a, you know, streaming binge watching model of data where the data can come to us directly into our S3 clouds, where we can then provision that data to our analytics and this is where um, we think um, you know, some of the initiatives like the recently announced AWS Data Exchange could become important where um, you know, it can create some uh, potentially, you know, create some efficiencies in connecting uh, this sort of complex landscape of data vendors to data purchasers and streamline and uh, really help improve uh, the speed of data acquisition. Ultimately, everything we do is with a very strong focus on our patients. So if we can get quality data faster, we can generate faster insights. If we can generate faster insights, we can provide faster access to our medicines, to our patients. Um, So you'll hear more about this tomorrow uh, in a talk um, on how we are actually um, getting faster insights. Um, so, um, we, there is a talk uh, by my colleagues, John Kai, Vikas Patel, Jeff Morgan, and Raveen on how we are leveraging our platform called the Real World Data Exchange built on top of AWS uh, in reducing the time from months to days. And as a result, uh, how we are transforming even our ways of working uh, within Merck. Thank you.
0: All right, let's go ahead and look at the next part of the value chain and talk about digital therapeutics. Now, digital therapeutics, uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of it, and I know this day and age, everyone has the word digital in front of something and makes it sort of sound cool. But actually, digital therapeutics is a field. It's an actual word of art, if you will. It's it's not just a a, a new term in front of of the word therapeutics. And so let's talk about digital therapeutics and what that is. The question really in digital therapeutics is, is there a digital asset that we can give a patient along with their therapy, their sort of molecular or chemical therapy, their medicine, is a digital asset we can give along with the medicine that would somehow improve the efficacy, the effectiveness, the outcome, ultimately the outcome of that therapy. And so the best example I can give of that is of a company called Propeller that built its technology on AWS. And let's go through that journey together. And I could talk about IoT, I could talk about data lakes. Let's talk about patients. Let's talk about how this actually helps patients. So I don't know if any of you have asthma or if you know someone who has asthma. So with asthma, you have an inhaler that you might take twice a day. And if you're not feeling particularly well, you might take an extra dose, a rescue dose, in between your regular doses. So what Propeller did is something kind of brilliant, is they in the first iteration of this, they actually built a little cap that's got a sensor in it. So if you think of an inhaler and you're going to press the button, the cap goes on top of the part that you press the button. And so every time you press the button, the sensor goes off and it sends off a signal to the cloud that says the button was pressed. So you may say, so what? So what, what does it do for the actual patient? How, how does that ever change anything? So here's the thing. If you're supposed to take medication twice a day, let's say it's a kid that's supposed to take the medication twice a day, and, and they don't take it twice a day, you could remind the kid through an app or they remind their parents that they should be taking their medication. And actually, improvement in adherence is well-documented. There was actually, Propeller did a study with, with, uh, with the health system. They studied 500 kids for a year, and reminding kids to take their medication not surprisingly helps. The, I think the adherence was two and a half times the national average, um, and there was 50% uh, more asthma-free days. So this idea that if you remind folks, they'll take their medication is a good thing. So that's one of the advantages of having sort of a digital asset that goes with the medication. And a lot of people talk about it here and send reminders. People talk about text messaging and so on. And I think that's sort of your first lift. There are three lifts you get with digital therapeutics. That's your first lift. And that's certainly talked about, sort of the table stakes, but it's not the most exciting or the interesting one. So let's talk about the second lift. So if you have anyone that has asthma, you might know that kids with asthma don't end up in the emergency department overnight. They just don't, I mean, there are some that will crump and really go bad, but typically, it's three to four to five days of not feeling well. They might take an extra dose on day minus five, they might take one dose, day minus four, they might take three doses of extra sort of dose, and day minus three, they might take five extra doses. But by then, guess what? you know they're going to end up in the emergency department within 24 or 48 hours. So you can predict based on the usage of that extra dose. You can predict and actually intervene. And in this particular study that was done, those signals are a model of prediction. And so the clinicians can actually reach out through the platform. They reach out and they tell the parents, Junior needs to come in because junior is gonna, well, they might not say he's gonna be in the emergency department, but they say we know that junior is not feeling well. And in that particular study, the numbers are like over 90% elimination of hospitalization in one year, over 80% elimination of emergency department visits, and about 63% or so increase in office visits, which is appropriate, because you're taking people from high cost, high acuity care to elective care. I mean, you have to imagine the impact on the lives of those families that get a call that prevents the kid from going to the emergency department, prevents mom and dad from missing work, potentially prevents a life-threatening condition and admission to ICU. So that's your second lift, is when you understand the disease pathways and you have signals coming, you can actually course correct. When you talk about cost-quality curve, this is it. But that's still not the most exciting part of sort of cloud technology and machine learning. So here's the most exciting part, in my opinion. If every time you take that rescue dose, you let me, you authorize me, I'll check your GPS location. I'll check the pollution index. I'll check the ozone index. I'll check what temperature is in that GPS location. I'll check the barometer, what pressure it is. If you let me, I'll check to see how physically active you were in the past hour. And I can build a machine learning model just for you that predicts the likelihood of you having asthma. That means in the morning when you wake up on the app, I can show your personal asthma forecast for the day because I built a model that predicts your conditions of exacerbation. And so you get your personal asthma forecast that says, you might wanna skip gym today because the conditions are right in the red for you to have an asthma attack. That is precise, individualized digital intervention for just one person. It's not an average of the nation. It's your story about you. So that digital exhaust that we took into the data lake, that digital exhaust of where you are, how active you are, the weather, this, that, the sensor signal allowed the building of something that is just down to a single atomic individual. And so that's the story of this individualization of we've talked about data all along in this entire story. We talked about data from labs, liquidating. We talked about data um, and and around protocols. and, And we talked about data from manufacturing talked about real world evidence and moving data for uh, for commercialization and real world evidence and efficacy, talked about digital exhaust data from the patient themselves coming in. And each of these data streams, you can lift to higher order value if you layer it into an environment that you can combine it, bring it together, build machine learning. And when we talk about moving towards individualized medicine, personalized medicine, personalized therapy, these are the assets that allow it to happen. These are the types of things that allow us to go across this value chain and to care for a single individual, to help you care for a single individual. So that's sort of the reason beyond ROI, reduce cost, and helping the farm industry. The why AWS, and our practice, is so passionate about helping you all change all this is because we know it's ultimately about a person. Now, you might want to take your phones out, take the picture of the next four slides, I'm serious, reach for your pockets. I'm serious, get your phones out the next four slides because we try to make life easy for you today. So here are all the breakout sessions to do with life sciences that you might want to attend. They were all listed today in the various parts of the presentation, all put together into sort of one neat package for you. Here are all the chalk talk and builder sessions that relate to so the healthcare and life, uh, to the life sciences section And so you might wanna take a picture of that. And then here's another picture you might wanna take. We do want you to join us in our networking lounge on the third level. And it's on this level here, so it's not too far. And we're happy to take, we'll do, we have lightning talks there. After the session, we'll be there to take questions and discuss and the speakers will all be there with me and so you can take a picture of that. And then, of course, uh, we do have our happy hour. We invite you all to come to our Healthcare Life Center happy hour. That's the most important picture <laughs> that you got to take. Uh, and please do come. And while your phones are still out, you have been incredibly patient and this has been terrific. While your phones are still out, we really want to hear from you. We really, really do. In that app, please do tell us how we're doing. Please do tell us the ratings uh, and, and what you like. Uh, um, changed, improved, and uh, beyond that, we're very, very thankful to you for being here. Thanks so much, you've been terrific, and thanks to our wonderful uh, co-speakers. Thanks so much, have a good rest of your day.